morning. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, so go ahead and open there. All right, all right, we're excited. Uh, If you're here and you came to Easter last week and you decided to give it one more shot, hey, I'm glad that you decided to come back. I hope that we can bless you and help you in your spiritual journey wherever that might be. Uh, Today we're going to talk about six marks of maturity. Six marks of maturity. This is like growing up when your parents would mark the door, you know, to see how tall you have gotten. And some of you never got to the height that you wished, you know, and you have settled in. But they say they would do the marks to say, hey, how high are you getting? How tall are you getting? Oh, now you're four feet five. Now you're four feet seven. And there's a mark. And the mark signifies your growth. It's a sign of your physical growth. And what the Bible is going to give us is marks and signs of spiritual growth. How do we mature and really how can we tell whether we're growing up like we're supposed to be? So just like you look at the door and you can say, well, I'm still growing. Look at the marks. I can see how I've grown over the last little while. This is exactly how the Lord has marked it out for us spiritually to say, here are some spiritual marks of maturity that can help us understand whether we are growing and becoming everything that we are supposed to be and whether we're really growing up into what God has called us to be, and whether we're being formed into Christ's image in the way that we should be or not. Especially for those of you who may be still considering Christianity or not quite sure yet, you wouldn't identify as a follower of Christ. I want you to see simply uh, the beautiful life that God has called us to live, and what does it mean to really follow Jesus? This is gonna give you an idea of the kind of people God is forming and the kind of person God wants to turn you into through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I hope you see that this morning as well. So Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six, says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, this is going to be enough for us this morning. You guys will be thankful. We were supposed to do verses 1 through 16, and I thought, there's just no way that that sermon is under an hour. So we're doing these first six verses, and they're going to give us more than enough things to talk about this morning. The first thing I want you to notice as we walk through this passage is the order. And as you're reading the Bible or learning to read the Bible, uh, the order is important. How God talks, especially in the epistles in the New Testament, it's a very logical flow of thought. The order is important. The first thing about the order is oftentimes when you're reading the Bible, especially in the letters of Paul, the first half of the book will be theology. What should you believe? The last half of the book will be how you should live. Okay? And so what you believe, how you live. What you believe, how you live, okay? You can do that in Philippians, Colossians, here in Ephesians. So the first thing about order is we enter into chapter four, which is half of the book. We're gonna start leaning into how we should live. So we spent the last several weeks and months looking at what we should believe. What does God say about this or that? What is the church? Who is God? What does that look like? And now we're gonna lean in for the next several weeks. Paul's gonna say how we should live. These two things should always go hand in hand. Always. And some of you are really good at learning and you need to focus a lot more on living. And some of you are love to try to do what God has called you to do. But boy, you haven't read your Bible in the last little while. And you got to learn, okay? And so we both need to be doing these things. You need to learn from what God has said about who he is. And then you need to apply it into your real life. And you can never grow unless you're doing both things. 
All right? So we need to be learning. We need to be living. So the last chapter, last three chapters of Ephesians are really about how we should live. The second thing I want you to notice about order is particularly in this passage, how, the Lord, how Paul sets this up about the order of the passage. And the first thing I want you to write down is this, that you cannot fulfill your calling without forming your character. He gives them an order. He says, I want you to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I want you to hurrah, you know? So I want you to make a difference with your life. I want you to live a worthy life. I, I want, you've been called to something special and I want you to live in light of that. And then he goes on to give them a list of character traits. This is not how we begin speeches, motivational speeches. Yeah, I want you to make a difference. Hurrah, go get it, yeah, you know? This is not what he does. He says, man, I want you to live the best life you can possibly live. And I want you to step into the calling on your life. And then he says, and I need you to be this kind of person. You cannot fulfill your calling without forming your character. This is very important. I want you to know something, and especially with even how this gets talked about in culture, this is important. God does not bypass character to get outcomes that he wants. God doesn't do that. He doesn't bypass character and say, well, you know what? There's particular outcomes that I want, and so I'm going to get those by any means necessary, regardless of the character at hand. That's at least not how God works. God actually spends an awful lot of time forming character so that he can use someone for outcomes. Remember, God didn't think Moses was ready, so he had him be a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. God didn't think the Israelites were ready, so he had him wander through the desert for 40 years. God didn't think David was ready, so he anointed him and then made him be a shepherd boy without the calling for many, many, many more years. God's way more patient than us. And some of us and some of you are trying to get outcomes apart from character because character formation simply takes too long. You're trying to get certain people to behave a certain way. This is, might be how you're parenting, you know, is to say, I want you simply to behave a certain way. Well, we gotta form character. You cannot fulfill your calling without forming your character. Some of you are bypassing character development simply because you're successful at work. Some of you are bypassing character development simply because you have enough money or simply because people around you think well of you or simply because you're too busy. I want you to understand this morning that no matter how successful you may be at work or no matter what your status may be in life or no matter how well things might be going for you, you are not fulfilling your calling if you are not forming your character. You're not. The Lord cares an awful lot about your character. Why? Well, number one is he can get it, anything done any way he wants to get it done. The Lord is not desperately needy of your skills and gifts to get the outcomes that he wants in life. The Lord is not just, oh man, if only I could. No, 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 no. The Lord is gonna get things done the way he wants to get done and what he really wants to do is form your character. You cannot fulfill your calling without forming your character. The defining marks of Christianity are not people who do certain things, but people who are certain things. 
And out of this reality of who we are, obviously we do. What we do is very, very important. But before Paul tells us and before God tells us what he wants us to do, he first tells us what kind of person we are supposed to be. God does not bypass character to get outcomes and neither should we. I want you to understand this morning as well for maybe some of you in a really hard part in your life. Maybe something's difficult or you feel like God's just not answering in the way that you would like. It's really possible that right now God is forming your character in a place or in a valley or in a difficult situation, in a circumstance that you don't like, that you wish he would let you out of, but he hasn't yet. God is working to form your character to make you more like Jesus, which is gonna be better for you anyways, but also it's usually unto the fact that he can then use you more. So now you have a ton of purpose in the valley and the areas of disappointment to say, if you are in Christ, you know that oftentimes the Lord works in seasons of suffering and pain precisely to form our character, to make us more like Jesus so that we can be who he wants us to be. And when we are who he wants us to be, we can do what he wants us to do. But some of us are trying to move so quickly into doing what we want to do that we are not listening and yielding to who God wants us to be. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord has brought you here today to simply say, I want you to yield to what I'm doing in you and stop worrying so much about what I want to do through you. God wants to yield, God wants you to yield to what he's doing in you, to accept the character development and the formation he is doing in you. This is very important for your times of suffering and pain or difficult seasons in life is to say, if you are in Christ, one of the things you certainly can know, although there may be a lot of things at play, is that God is forming your character. And you cannot fulfill your calling if you do not form your character. And what we're gonna see from this passage and from the rest of the book of Ephesians is that character formation and maturity is not passive. It doesn't happen to you. You have to join God in what he's doing. And some of us hope we can just show up at church or just participate in the bare minimum of Christian activities and then have the character and formation of Jesus Christ. Listen, I think church is great. I think you'll be helped here. But you've got to every day make a decision to form your character, to join the Holy Spirit in what he's doing in your life. But I just want you to see, no matter what, no matter how successful you are, no matter even what things you might be doing for Jesus, it really doesn't matter if I preach good sermons or not in that sense to say, I will not fulfill my calling if I do not form my character. Even in ministry, even if it looks fruitful and helpful to everyone around, there is no, form, there is no fulfilling of calling without the formation of character. And some of you now, the Lord's trying to sit down right across from you and say, I am building your character. Would you please pay attention to that? You're paying attention to all sorts of other things in your life. But the thing that you're not paying attention to is your own character. And maybe you have been stunted in your development because you haven't paid attention to your formation. And what you have to remember as well, this is very important, and I'll teach this with interns people all the time, is that you are always being discipled. Don't act like you're just neutral or like, you know, here. No, 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 no. You are always being formed into something. And if you are not intentionally joining Jesus and being formed into his image, you will passively be formed into the image of the world around you. 
That is a non-negotiable. I mean, that's what is happening to you. If you are not joining Christ in the formation of your character to become like him through the word of God, through prayer, through the people of God, through accountability, through service to God, through sharing the gospel, if you're not forming your habits and your mindsets into Christ-like things, you are not standing neutral. You are you're going backsliding into the image of the world. Right? You are clay. Me and you are clay, and we're being formed. And you're either being formed by the world around you and its ideas and its pressures and its thoughts and its philosophies, or you're being formed by Jesus and the Word of God and the people of God. But you can't have, can't have nothing happening to you. You have to be active in your character formation because the world, and certainly the devil, is active in the formation of your character also. And if you're not active, you're just going to fall behind. You're going to be passive and things are going to happen to you. This is why Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the world, which is what would naturally happen to you, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you are not being transformed, you are being conformed. Okay, so that's what I want you to understand, the importance of it. And I know you want to fulfill your calling. And even those outside of Christ, I know you want to make a difference with your life. Well, I just want to help you see that who you are is going to matter to that. And you cannot be who you're supposed to be apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, what I want you to see now is the six marks of maturity. They're right here in the passage. They're very simple. Six marks of maturity. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, and peace. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, and peace. And right now, you can test the current status of your character, your level of growth and maturity, with how consistently you exemplify these qualities. Right now, you could argue, you go ahead and do it. I almost called the sermon the test of your character, because that's what it's doing. These six qualities are what God wants to see. These six qualities are what God has created you to be. These six qualities are absolutely essential to you fulfilling your calling. They are not icing on the cake. They are not just nice extras. No, these things are essential. So now you can look at these six qualities, think about your life, and automatically have an idea. Like, remember, you're looking at the door. You're seeing the marks to see how tall you are. Well, imagine a spiritual door now, and it's got these marks on it, and you're assessing how tall you have become spiritually based off how consistently you exemplify these qualities. These are the six marks of a mature Christian, the six marks of a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And will I say, especially maybe to those of you who aren't Christians yet, because we are made by God and the ultimate form of being human is to be like Jesus because he is the ultimate human, then these six marks are not simply the marks of a Christian, but they are the marks of the best kind of human. And the only way you can become the best kind of human is to first believe and trust in the only perfect human, which is Jesus. And then slowly, as you become like him, you start to exemplify these qualities. So what I want you to see is that this is the kind of humanity that's being formed in the image of Jesus that you got to believe first in Christ to become. All right, let's work through them one by one. The first is humility. Once again, order matters. I want you to understand this. Maturity begins with humility. This is very simple. It's a simple concept, a hard thing to live out. You're never going to make progress in maturity unless you prioritize humility. 
He says, look, this is not what we do. He says, I want you to live a worthy life. I want you to make the most of your calling. I want you to step into everything God has for you. I want you to be everything you're made to be. And it starts with humility. You know, what do we do? Go get it, tiger. You know, that's what we would do. Go be ambitious. Yeah, you got it. You're the man. You're the woman. You can do it. Fulfill your calling. You're super special. Yeah, you got it. You have gifts and skills and just special. Well, that's what we would do. I want you to live this awesome life. So go get it. Do whatever it takes. And God's like, I want you to live this amazing life. And it starts with humility. starts with humility. Maturity begins with humility, and you are only as mature as you are humble. That is the defining mark of really a mature person. We see this even in the life of Jesus, who became humble, Philippians 2 tells us, who took on, God himself took on humility to become a man so that he could ultimately die for us. We simply are trying to model this, but you will not make progress in maturity until you prioritize humility you should read this very small book. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Write it down right now, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's one book I hand out like lollipops, okay? It's literally, I think, 40 pages, and it's this big, all right? You could read it in an hour. Uh, it's wonderful. It's by Tim Keller. It's the, really the best book on humility I've ever read. Um, and uh, this, I just want to give you this phrase about humility. So you should get the book. I think it's like two bucks on Amazon, okay? So if you need two bucks from me, come ask me, all right? I will buy the book for you, uh, but I think most of you probably have two dollars, all right? So you should do that. This is what Keller, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, says about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And that is really all you need to know. It's a wonderful statement. We think humility is like, I suck. I'm the worst. I'm the worst sinner in the world. I'm the worst husband. I'm the worst father. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like, you should, if I was to be humble and get up here, I'd just be like, I don't even know if I have anything to say to you. I just, not, you know, that wouldn't help anybody, would it? No, 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 no. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Woe is me. I'm the worst. No, no, no. That's, that's false humility. Actually, that's a form of pride. That's what he's going to walk through is insecurity is pride, just like overconfidence. Why? Because it's a focus on self. Either way, it's about me. It's about how bad I am or how great I am, but it's about me. So insecurity is not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Which means that you're so caught up in first and foremost the Lord, loving him, honoring him, wanting to live to please him, but then also in service to others. This is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're super busy doing these two things, you don't have a lot of time to think about yourself. Right? So humility is formed by me proactively loving God and loving neighbor. So this is where you've made the mistake, is you think humility happens to you, or you just got to be more meek, or you just got to be more humble, and hopefully that character trait will just come up with you, and when you have to make a decision, maybe you'll choose the humble way. No, 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 no. Humility is formed in your life when you proactively set your mind on the Lord, and when you proactively begin to serve others, then you become a humble person. 
Humility doesn't come about through meditation or any of these things like that. Humility is formed in you when you obey how the Lord wants you to live. You become a humble person as you become enamored with Jesus. There's not a whole lot of people who in the presence of God think really highly of themselves. Right? When you're really locked in in worship, are you thinking, man, I am so great, you know? Great are you, Nate. You know, you're not singing that song. You didn't even think about it. Now, obviously, you think that thought, you don't say it out loud, but sometimes you think that thought, yeah, I'm pretty great, you know? You think that thought, and we should repent of those thoughts, but you don't think it at least as much when you are locked in to who God is. That's true in worship, but it's also true just in your life. The more attention and time you give to the Lord, and the more attention and time you give to others, the more humble you will become. And then the humble person is the most free person on the face of the planet. Humble people are happy. Why? Well, because they're not bothered by you. You can insult a humble person, and they're like, well, you're probably right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, praise God for his grace in my life. You know? They're not like, whoa, I'm so offended. I'm going to carry this bitterness to my grave. That's a pride. Humble people are free. Humble people don't need a ton of success. Humble people don't need a ton of affirmation from others. Humble people don't need all the things the world can provide. Humility is freeing. It's so wonderful. You can just live. Just do what you're called to do and love people around you without needing anything in return. And then go be with the Lord. It's an amazingly simple life. It's the life God wants you to live in. And maybe some of the reasons that you're so held in bondage, even to other people's opinion, is really a lack of humility. You're living so stressed because you have to accomplish certain things. So that might just be a lack of humility. Your anxiety or overwhelmness might be a lack of humility. Humility is freeing. Okay, so maturity begins with humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. This can be formed by practice. All right, the next thing is gentleness and patience, these two things. Once again, you would think a worthy life is a strong person who can get what's theirs and who can make things happen. No, no, no. He flips it and he says, listen, I want you to live a worthy life and to make the most of your life. So you need to be humble. You also need to be gentle and patient. Now, the opposite of gentleness and patience is, doing th- is harshness and hurry. Harshness and hurry are the opposite of gentleness and patience. You know, the thing that's hardest for us to do is to be patient to see God work or to be patient to see a certain outcome. That's the hardest thing, especially if it is in your capacity to do something about it. Or if it is in the realm of your influence to hurry things along. We think the faster things happen, the better they go. But the Lord often thinks sometimes here, the slower things happen, the better they go. Gentleness and patience, not harshness and hurry, which is really to say you're not getting things by force. You're not hurried and ambitious in such a way that you're stressed because you're trying to accomplish certain things. No, 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 no. The person who's accomplishing great things God's way does it with gentleness and patience. The person who's trying to accomplish great things their way does it with harshness and hurry. And you can already tell 
by the way you treat your coworkers, your employees, your kids, any of that? Am I trying to accomplish things my way? Then I'm gonna do it with force. I'm gonna make it happen and I'm gonna do it as fast as I can. But if I'm trying to live life God's way, there's a reason why the phrase wait on the Lord is so consistent in the Bible. God's way takes a ton of patience and God's way has a lot of gentleness. And I love this because Jesus, who has every right to not be gentle and to just smash all of us sinful, rebellious people, is the most gentle being in the world. Jesus came to earth and dealt with us in such a gentle way. He does it with you too. So many of you who are walking with Jesus have been touched by his gentleness to you. If you just sat and thought about how patient God has been with you, right? That fills your heart with thanksgiving. If I just sit for five minutes and think, wow, the Lord is so like gentle and slow and patient with me. I know my heart, I know my foolishness, I know my sin struggles. And the Lord, you know, if I was the Lord, I would be mad at myself. But that's not how the Lord is. He's so gentle and patient. He is not harsh and in a hurry. If you want to accomplish great things with your life, it will not be marked by hurry, and it will certainly not be marked by the amount of things that happen, but it'll be marked by the way that you did it. Gentleness and patience. The fourth quality here is love. It says bearing with one another in love. So love is marked, therefore, the mark of love is marked by its ability to bear up to be consistent, to hold up under pressure, to continue to love when things are bad and to love even your enemies. Love here is not simply a feeling, but it is a commitment. This is the mature kind of love that Jesus has for us and it's the love we ought to have for one another. But when we live in a world that marks love by feelings, we become discipled into people who love only when we feel it. But when we live in the kingdom, that marks love by consistency and its ability to bear up under pressure, then we become a kind of people who love by commitment. And so many of you, and even some of your marriages, are failing or struggling because you once had a feeling and now you don't. And the question is, can you love with commitment? Feelings come and go. They go up and down in your whole life, with everything in your life. This is true with any of your relationships. How do you navigate difficult seasons in relational life with spouses or kids or parents? It's commitment. But some of us are living off of feelings. And so our love is dependent on how we feel. Love defined by Jesus is a love that holds up under pressure. And it's a love that here the Bible says bears up. The question I have for you is though your love may stir you up and it may keep you up late at night sometimes and it may build you up and make you feel good about yourself. The question about your love is not does it stir you up, keep you up or build you up. The question is does it hold up? Does it hold up? And you've had love that stirred you up. Woo! You felt it. Yeah. And you've had love that keeps you up. You just think about them all night long. And you've had love that builds you up, makes you feel good about yourself. I love when you love me, you know. The question, though, is not any of those things. Do you have love that bears up? 
Do you have love that can hold up under pressure? That's the kind of love Jesus wants to form in you. It's the kind of love Jesus wants to give to you. And it's the mark of real supernatural Christian love. Anybody can love when they feel like it. And anybody can love those who love them. But only by the work of the spirit can we love consistently with commitment even to our enemies. God is not impressed when you love those who love you. Neither is the world. Certainly no one is impressed when you fall in love. Everybody understands that. But they are impressed when you stay committed for 50 years. No one's impressed by falling in love. Not a single person on the earth. They may want it, but they're not impressed by it. Why? Well, because there's nothing. I mean, that happens there, right? It happens easily. We fall in love so easily. You know what's really hard to do is to stay in love for 50 years and stay faithful. So real love the love that represents Jesus well, it holds up, it bears up, it stays committed. Some of you are in the midst of relational strife or difficulty, and the answer to that is that your love would stay committed. That you would not give in to differences, irreconcilable. That's it. Yes. Got it. Irreconcilable differences. All right, you have a love that stays committed in the good and the bad. Love bears up. You see this most in Jesus. Obviously, obviously, Jesus does not treat us or love us to the measure that we deserve it. If he did, we would all be dead already. Jesus loves us to the measure of his commitment and ability, which is perfect. And we ought to model the love of Jesus by being committed to one another. This also applies in your lighthouses. This applies in your friendships here at church. This applies in your relationships at work. This applies in how we love one another and how committed we are to one another, even when we offend each other and when we bother each other. It's the whole point. Can, if the love is supernatural and from God, it will hold up under offense. It will be able to bear the weight of betrayal. It will be able to handle miscommunication. It's a love that bears all, that can hold up all these human things that we do to one another that we ought, certainly ought not to do and we hope to do less. But it's not a love that just wipes its hands clean. So I went to Lighthouse that one time and somebody said something that I didn't like. So I never went back. Well, you're never gonna grow then. And if you're not gonna grow, you're never gonna become what God has wanted you to become. All right. Here's the next thing I want you to understand. It says unity. So we got two more qualities. Unity. Here's where you got to, now the connection. Here's something you write down. Character is the currency of community. So character is the currency of community. So character and good, in particular, godly character is the means, it's the way we deal with one another that produces a healthy community. Look, all of this is unto this, verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Meaning that as you develop and build your character to become more like Jesus, you can now utilize your character as a currency to build good community. But some of you got no money because you got no character. 
you got no patience to give, so you can't build a community of patience. You have no love to give, so you can't build a community of love. You have no gentleness to give, so you can't build a community of gentleness. You have no peace to give, so you can't build a community of peace. You see what I'm saying? You build the character with you and the Lord inside of your own life and heart, and then that's the character and the currency you can now use to others. And the reason why everything's always distracted and dissolving around you is because you don't have peace to give to others around you. The Lord wants us to become what we are supposed to become so that we can then have full bank accounts, so to speak, of all the fruits of the Spirit. And I can easily and quickly and readily give all of these things to one another. And the more we're able to give these things to one another, the more we're able to be the kind of community God wants us to be. It is our witness. It is also our life. It is how we grow and it is how we manage our life and become more like Jesus. Here's a phrase for you to consider is that who you are matters to how we are. Who you are matters to how we are. And you will only believe this if you believe and understand that church is way more than a service. If how we are is dependent on how I preach and how the people sing and how good the coffee is and how many servant leaders we have in kids to make sure they're not running amok. If who we, if how we are doing is dependent on how well we can do a service, then that's all we will ever be. But if how we are doing is dependent on who you are and we are forming people of character that can help people through the highs and lows of life, that can give wisdom and peace and have the currency of patience to deliver to one another, then we will be everything God has called us to be. We will be healthy, we will be helpful, and we will be godly. This is why I say all the time, your participation matters. Why? Because church is not a church service. It's not. And obviously this is a part of it, and I hope to do the very best I can do. And I obviously want to preach well, and we want to sing well, and we want to serve well. All these things we want to do with excellence, we are not sloppy in them. But a church is defined by the people in it and how we treat one another. It's really that simple. Uh, we were just doing a training with some of the people on our staff about trauma and different things like that. And really one of the main takeaways was that all of our pain happens relationally, and so the only way it can be healed is relationally. I'm thinking about, I mean, my 90% of the pain in your life is relational. And then we think a sermon is gonna resolve the relational pain in my life. I think going to church and being in God's presence for an hour is gonna resolve this huge, deep wound. When I need a committed relationship with somebody for years that can help me walk through that. I need a committed relationship with people who know me. I'm preaching a sermon, and I know a lot of you fairly well, but I have no idea what's going on in a lot of your lives to a really deep level. You need people who can communicate to you in light of the things you're going through. You will not heal unless you are healed relationally. A, a church really exists to form relationships under the, the, the body of Christ, as the body of Christ, under the headship of Jesus, so that we can help each other grow to become more like Jesus. And a sermon and a worship service and a prayer set are all parts and pieces of that, but the healing is not gonna take place just simply in this one-way communication, but in your communication with one another. Therefore, if the greatest amount of healing you will experience comes in the relationships you have, then your character formation and the character formation of one another is the most vital thing we can do to be healthy as a church. 
It doesn't matter if every sermon I ever preached for the rest of my life is the best sermon you ever heard, which by the way, it will not be, but even if it was, even if it was, we could grow a really big crowd with a lot of unhealthy people. I am not about that. What good is that? Let's have 2,000 unhealthy people. I'll take 500 healthy ones. You know what I'm saying? So this is the relational thing we have to do with one another. Who you are matters to how we are. And until you believe this, you will not have the motivation needed to fight sin in the secret places. Until you believe that my well-being is attached to your character formation. This is very important. Who you are matters to how we are. Look at this, unity requires, look at this. So maintain the unity of the spirit. Unity requires maintenance. I love this phrase, you just think about this. Look, it says maintain the unity of the spirit. So here's a theological reality. You and I do not create unity, it says by the spirit. Unity is created by the spirit who saves us in the name of Jesus and we become one because of what God has done. It's created by God, but it's maintained by us. Some of you are wasting energy trying to create unity. That can't happen. Only the spirit can do that. But a lot of us are not putting in the effort to maintain community. The same idea with the building. If we were to maintain the building, right? We have to fix things that go wrong. We have to give attention when things are not correct. We have to sweep and clean the floors. We have to do all these things. Having this building requires maintenance and having relationships require maintenance. And some of the reason why your relationships are going bad is simply because it's like a building. You're letting it go. Something goes wrong and you don't fix it. Things get dirty and you don't sweep it. Unity requires maintenance. It requires maintenance, which is essential to the reality that things will go wrong. If I have a building, I do not assume that the building will function as it should for all of eternity. So when something goes wrong in the water pipes, I think, oh my goodness, how could the water pipes ever do this to me? No, you think, well, that's what happens, you know. And that's what happens to buildings, especially old ones. And th but this is what you do in a relationship. Oh my goodness, I can't believe someone would say something offensive to me. How dare they, you know? Oh my goodness, I can't believe somebody wouldn't care about my circumstance. Oh my goodness, I can't believe another Christian wouldn't be nice to me. You're like shocked. And then you do this thing called deconstruction because all of a sudden you met some Christians who weren't nice. Hello, only Jesus is nice all of the time. I don't follow other Christians, I follow Jesus. Y'all all let me down, but Jesus won't. And I'll let you down, but Jesus won't. Please don't follow me at City Light. I, you follow Jesus, and hopefully I'll point you that way, you know? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So do that, as much as people around you are imitating Christ, you do that for them. But man, people are still gonna let you down. They're still gonna let you down. And some of you get so surprised that people let you down and then you just lose your mind. Now I could never forgive that. Like people haven't forgiven worse things. Like, people are going to let you down. The building will break. You have to maintenance it, which means you need to get your tools, you need to go to the place of the building that's broken and you need to fix it. You just sit down like, man, these people, so I can hate all these people in here that's talking about. 
He's just sitting down like, I just can't believe Christians would act like this, whatever, 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 you know. I can't believe that person said to me, this person over here offended you the other day, said something in the lighthouse, you didn't like it. And you're just sitting there. Rah, 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 you know? That's not gonna work. We're not gonna get anywhere. If something breaks, hey, fix it. You know what? You and I, we're all maintenance people. We're the custodians of City Light Church. You're a janitor with me. You better bring your tools. Some of you want other people to fix your problems for you. Well, if they would just come to me. You know how well things get fixed in here when it's just up to me? Not very good. Not very good. I have to go to other people and get help. Some of you aren't willing to do that. Community requires maintenance. Maintenance, 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 maintenance. Maintenance requires work. Work requires tools. You need the tools of the Bible to help you understand what to do. It requires maintenance. I always say, this is true about relationships, okay? Is that they don't have to be hard, but they do have to take hard work. And some of you miss, you do this weird thing, we go backwards and you think, well, relationships are just hard. You know, marriage is just hard. Raising kids is just hard. Well, of course it's hard. But what you mean really is it requires hard work. But actually, ironically, the more hard work you put into it, oftentimes the better it goes. Especially when both sides of the relationship is doing it, you know? All right? If you put the work in to resolve things with people around you, you will reap the benefits of a healthy community. All right, that was a soapbox. But, and the sermon should be done by now. This is very important though, okay? I literally, you can ask the man, I have only, I would say my goal has been to preach a little bit shorter. I only have two pages of notes, two. That should take like 20 minutes. So I'm sorry. Anyways, uh, I tried. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay. All right. So this is very important. I just, I, I know you heard me say this time and time again, right? But God will participate with us as much as we participate with him and one another. And if we want the spirit to be at work in our lives, we have to participate. And coming to church and watching a service is the bare minimum of participation. And I'm just telling you, you're just not gonna grow like you want to. You're not gonna have the people around you that you need. And it will never be the case that the best sermon of your life heals the worst wounds of your life. It might point you in the right direction. I have been blessed by many a good sermon. But it's not gonna do the healing. That happens in relationships. We need each other. Unity requires maintenance. So when you walk out of here, put your metaphorical tool belt on, all right? And get ready to go to work. Some of y'all need to do that. As soon as we have response time, you need to find somebody in this room or you need to pray for somebody or you need prayer. You need to go to work right away. That usually starts with the phrase, I'm sorry. I don't know what it might be for you, but that's probably a good place to start. Okay. Unity requires maintenance. <clears throat> Finally here, it's in the bond of peace. Listen, our unity as believers in Jesus Christ is defined by a bond of peace, which is not a bond of anger, we are not unified around the things we are angry about, which it seems like a lot of Christians out there like to rally around anger. That's not. It says around the bond of peace. We are not unified by a bond of fear. We are not unified by any other thing other than a bond of peace, which is two things, the peace that we have with God through faith in Jesus Christ and therefore also the peace we now have with one another. 
I mean, one of the main marks of a Christian community is an unbelievable amount of peace. It's weird, you know. We're at peace in suffering. Doesn't mean that we don't cry. It doesn't mean it doesn't suck. But it does mean we have some peace. We're at peace with one another. We don't hold on to grudges and all these things, you know. It's a mark of peace. And this is what God has done for us. As you see in five through seven and five through six, he just closes it all by saying, hey, look, this is something God has already done. You are all one. You're already one, so just act like it. I mean, it's really that simple. You have one God, one faith, one baptism. You're already made one, so just act like it. And this is how he wants us to consider what does it look like to become more like Jesus. So six marks of maturity, a test of your character, humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, and peace. And you will never fulfill your calling until you form your character. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this time in your presence today. We thank you for your word. And now we just pray as we respond, um, Lord, that we would actually take appropriate action, however you're leading, to pray or to text somebody or to pray, pray with someone or to ask for forgiveness um, whatever it might be, to identify areas in our life where we're not humble, where we're not gentle, where we've been dealing harshly or in a hurry, where we haven't been patient with one another, Lord. We thank you that you are so perfectly all these things for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us now mature day by day, becoming more like these things, like you are. And we ask that you would make this church a healthy community. As it is, praise God, would you continue to do so? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.